the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, episode 119. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hey, Unruffled listeners. We just wanted to let you guys know a couple of things at the top of the show. You can go to my website, www.theunruffled.com, and scroll down to the bottom of the page to sign up for a free guide. Yes, you heard me, free guide. And it is called 10 Ways to Expand Your Recovery Through Creativity. Uh, I'd love to send it to you. It's all my best work. And I'm going to let Tammy take it from here. Yeah. And um, if you guys want to go to my website, TammySolace.com, I'm offering the Proof of Life Project in July and August this year. You can sign up there. There's links to tell you all about the programs. And I also just released a new book called um, Proof of Life, and it's a 60-page illustrated gratitude journal. I've done all the work for you with watercolors, and you can put your lists on top. And that's $20 in my store. All right. You guys enjoy the show. Hey, Unruffleds, we are going to have a guest co-host today as part of our, I don't know what we're calling it, guest summer series co-host, I don't know, something like that. <laughs> you know how we do things here. Yeah. And I have Laura McCowan with me today, who's going to be the co-host, and I'm super excited. Hello. I know. I was so excited this morning, knowing I, well, we were going to do it yesterday, and then, you know, my excitement got pushed off till today, <laughs> but I, I love talking to you. Oh, thanks. Life happens, life's terms, right? I got to do things on life's terms. And that truck did not want us to record yesterday. No, it no, did not. Happening. It's funny. I was thinking, cause this morning I woke up at like three 30 in the morning and I'm on the um, West coast. You're on the East coast in Boston. And mm-hmm. I had a stress dream that about us recording this morning. <laughs> and it was like, Everybody was in my living room, children, nobody would get out. And I'm like, Laura's here. Laura's here. You guys have to go. (laughs) And I just was so, and I woke up and I was like, I'm not going to be able to get back to sleep. And so that's kind of how my morning went. And I thought, why am I so, I was so excited yesterday. There was no stress about it. Well, probably because what happened to me and then it's just (laughs) the way it goes. I was going to say 3.30 woman. Is this a normal thing? But I know you get up early, but that's Yeah, that's like too early. Um, okay, so let's, the listeners, if you're new, Laura McCowan was on our show on episode 44. She's, mm-hmm. uh, um, I'm going to let her tell you a little bit about her, but how I came to know Laura um, was through Instagram. And I've talked about you many times on this show, Laura, in terms of Instagram and why I think it's so great to use the powers for good. Yeah. Um, and because of finding you um, before I stopped drinking was really important and kind of texting with you on Friday nights. Mm, I know yes. that there was another person that was like kind of going through it. Um, Hating Friday really. nights. <laughs> now I love them. I do now, too. I love them, but I did not for a really long time. And knowing nope. that you understood was good. So why don't you, can you share with the listeners a little bit about you so they can get up to speed what you're doing? Yeah. yeah so I am 
let's see, where do I start? I now am a author, speaker, teacher, mostly around recovery and personal development. Uh, but I had a long career in marketing and advertising for 15 years. When I got sober, I started to write and teach yoga again and started a podcast of my own. And after a couple of years of doing that, along with doing my real job, I quit my career and started doing what I'm doing now. And it's just been a three, now it's been three years this year. And it's just been a wild adventure and uh, an amazing life. <laughs> it's funny. I was, I, I don't, this is supposed to be interview season and I know we're not, I'm not being interviewed right now, but I was trying to, every time I tell my story, it's a little different, but yesterday mm -hmm. this woman, it, she didn't know me very well. And she it's like, so, so you kind of have an entirely different life now. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, right. everybody who gets sober has a different life. Everybody, yeah. even if it, even if the outsides don't change it a whole lot, you know, you might live in the same spot, have the same partner, you know, have the same job. Your interior changes so much that it feels like a different life. Oh, I totally agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you also co-host Spiritualish. I co-host a show called Spiritualish with Meadow DeVore. We're, we've been doing that since for a year and a half. And that's a irreverent take on self-help and spirituality. I have a book coming out, my first book in December 31st of this year called We Are the Luckiest. It's a sobriety memoir. And I teach a bunch of classes online. Uh, for sobriety and personal development. I sometimes teach workshops and retreats out in the, out in the wild. Mm -hmm. I've done a lot less of that in the last year or so. I just, I so much, I, I like to be home with my daughter. <laughs> yeah. I really do. And your cats. <laughs> and my cats, yes. <laughs> that's probably a huge reason. I really like my cats. Well, that's a lot of good things, Laura. Like that is amazing. Yeah. From knowing you from when you worked at your, um, your job in the city, right? You would commute. Mm -hmm. Didn't they have like a drinking cart that came around on Thursdays or something? Oh yeah. Booze cart. <laughs> Every Thursday. Yeah. I remember uh, that. Four o'clock circled around They had played music and you could just grab, I mean, but, and that was actually pretty mild. That place was pretty mild compared to other agencies I'd worked at where, that had bars, you know, built it. It was just never, it, it was never a big deal to drink. At. Right. And it was, you know, definitely after four or five people were always having something. Yeah. Somewhere. It's, um, and it's so funny to just see it now from the other side and, and to see how much I participated in all of that kind of stuff. Like that was like a perk, right? Like that would have been a real great It was great not perk. only a perk, it was like a does this place do that? Right. I'm going to work here only if. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I sort of joke about it, but it, it's, there's a lot of truth to it. I gravitated towards industry, an industry that was a lot of fun, a lot of drinking. When I, um, I owned a wine bar 
you know, I bought, know. I bought a wine bar on my honeymoon. So when I think about these things, when I've been writing papers for school or reading books like by Anne Dowsett Johnston, right? Drink. Yeah. When I was reading that book and thinking about the life that I kind of created, like what you're saying, like taking a job just because they have a booze cart, you know, that's a perk. Like that's a <laughs> that's on the that's on the pro side when you're doing the pro and con list. Yeah. The fact that I owned a bar and that, you know, here's what, what a wine snob I was, Laura. I thought I'm never going to carry that bitch wine or that um, <laughs> mommy juice because it was quote unquote cheap, right? Um, because I had this like nice fine bar, right? Um, so I thought I had my standards. However, now that I see all of these mommy um, themes and mommy juice and all of the kind of mommy wine culture, I used to carry the cocktail napkins that said the things, Yeah, you know, I used yeah. to carry little t-shirts. I carried baby stuff. I'm sure I had some shit on there that was about wine. I'm sure of it. I don't remember. Of course. Yes. I'm sure I thought I had a kid, so that I'm going to do And then I look back now and I almost just kind of cringe and going, okay, well, you're not supposed to regret the past or wish to shut the door on it, but I, I was part of that. And to see yeah. it now going, I, it's, I, can't do, I can't believe that I um, participated. Or that you thought that you were like so much better. Oh, so much better. I have a baby onesie with, with some shit on there, like got wine or something. You know what I mean? Like, right. right. It's like, no, just because I was drinking a $35 bottle of wine made me just, you know, as cringeworthy. Um, my, my, my problem cost me a little bit more and I always justified it because I got it at cost, you know, it's kind of <laughs> Reality was <laughs> like okay. I'm not as anyhow. So, but when I sold that in 2008, I mean, I still wouldn't quit drinking for another seven years. So I know I had a long time to figure that out. Um, yeah, when, it was really interesting when I got sober and was still in that job and in that industry. And uh, it was like, wow, this. Now that I'm not doing that, this is so then it was just the work, you know, it's yeah. like, this is, what am I doing here? <laughs> what am I doing? I had a total, I had many like David Byrne moments walking, like go riding up the elevator and just walking into the office and just literally going, how did I get, what am I doing here? Yeah. It's very stranger in a strange land. It's very strange. Well, it's like this clarity that comes over us. Right. And not, not all at once. No, um, but over the sometimes, course. yeah, sometimes though it is like that. Sometimes it's like, wow, nope, mm-hmm. <laughs> this doesn't work anymore. Well, I love how you jumped from your um, job. I know that you were in that book. Um, was it Mike Lewis's book? Yeah, when to jump, when to jump, um, and how you left your job and how you how you have created now a life that yeah you don't want to escape from. You're creating a really beautiful life, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you about today. Okay, like um, just. I've watched you obviously and listened to you and listened to every episode of home podcast, listen to every episode of spiritualist. Like I feel like I get to catch up with you every week and know what's I going know. on with you. And then we have our little email newsletter. Yeah. Letters to each other. Yeah. Yeah. We've been in touch. I mean, it has been what, probably four years now. Mm-hmm. I'm four and a half years sober. So I think, yeah, around that. Oh, maybe you're more. approach. You're approaching five, right? In September. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah, so it's been fun. It's it's been fun to watch you grow too. That's I think one of the best things is just watching people change is amazing. Mm-hmm. You don't get to see that a lot. It's beautiful. I think the thing I was thinking about with um 
when I, uh, when we kind of were communicating through Instagram and for, for listeners, we, I've talked about this, Sandra and I've talked about this in past episodes about just in real life community and how to create it. And, um, Instagram was the place where, you know, I'm isolating at the time, but I would go into my phone and I stumbled across a a hashtag that, um, I found Laura on Mm -hmm. and, um, it's an old one. I know you guys don't use it anymore. Maybe even that language is antiquated too. That hashtag was, I choose clean. It's so funny. Yeah. We, that was like so long ago. Flash. Yeah. It it was Holly and I decided we were going to like do that, do a thing and have people come out that way, come out sober that way. Mm -hmm. Well, that was so I, it was that I had a friend through the internet (laughs) that Mm -hmm. she did it. And I was Mm -hmm. like, what? And then Ah. I clicked on the hashtag and then that's how I found you and Holly. That's so awesome. And then it kind of went from there. I think we were kind of following each other and I sent you some art and we were just kind of back and forth. And then you, I think, had shared my art with Holly. Maybe, maybe you tagged her in something I'd written. Yeah. Yeah. Because I have to say, I didn't, I followed Holly at first and then I didn't because she kind of scared me Um, in terms (laughs) of what she was saying was so kind of, I felt oh my gosh, that's so outrageous. Who says the things, you know, about not drinking and who, right. who is so out and about, you know, about their drinking. So and bold about it. Yeah. yeah. It just kind of, um, that was my own deal. That wasn't Holly's deal, but it was me. I was like, I'm afraid. So I'm mm-hmm. going to go back. I'm going to unfollow that. And I'm going to go back to my little cocoon of what I'm doing yeah. and following. But when she reached out to me, I'm so grateful to Holly because she had me do the mantra project with her and I know. made me feel like, an artist. It gave me permission to keep making art is what it did. Yeah. And look what's happened with that. Yeah. It's been great. And so I think that wormhole, I encourage people, and I don't really even know how hashtags worked back then. You know what I mean? Like I I just now started using them. Like I'm slow to the game. Yeah. It's the same. I mean, they just, it's, it's the same as they work now. Yeah. But I'm I'm just so lame about like technology sometimes. I'm like, oh, I can, I felt like everybody, like the, we are the luckiest hashtag that you have, Laura. Yeah. I thought that was yours. So like I owned it. Yes. So I thought for years I could never use it because that's how much I didn't know. Right? You're cute. That's so funny. Stupid. So I've been using no, it. No, you're not stupid. I don't think a lot of people get technology. The cool thing about hashtags is you can follow them. Did you know that? I just learned that too, Laura. Yeah. So that is cool because that's, that, right. that is a whole other, you know, I follow you we are the luckiest people. and then I get to see who's saying that. And it's, it's, it's cause I probably wouldn't follow all those people, but mm-hmm. I, I mean, I would, but I don't, I wouldn't come across them otherwise, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I just earlier this year learned you can follow hashtags. I was like, oh, it's not fine. How it works. Okay. So she's okay. If I use that hashtag. (laughs) Okay. I never used hip sobriety. I never, like, I just never used anything that I found early on in recovery. So I'm like, okay. So anyhow, I'm using it now. It's good. Um, That's Tammy's Instagram 101 right there. So maybe you can start. I bet you just helped some people. (laughs) I hope so. Um, But what I've seen you do that I've really, um, enjoyed is just kind of how you've created again this life and so I know that you had um Meadow on the home podcast and then I know that you guys are doing this project together but you did coaching with her early on right like you 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 were a student of hers no I wasn't no I I asked if I could be and she said "Mm, no but I'll be your friend (laughs) oh okay I got you yeah so she was on home and 
she, I, that episode kind of blew my mind. And, and I remember texting her afterwards and being like, holy shit, that was crazy. Uh, I want, I want to work with you. Will you coach me? And she's like, no, but I'll be your friend. I was like, and then we just became friends. And pretty quickly, I think like only a few months after that, we did our first retreat together in Bainbridge Island at Islandwood. And then, and then we did a bunch of retreats together and that was so much fun. And we, you know, you, you get it like you and Sandra, I mean, you figure out pretty quickly if you gel with people. Yeah. Work-wise, it's it just clicks sometimes, and it definitely clicked with us. And we've done a bunch of stuff together since then. We taught, we did a like monthly subscription sort of coaching thing for a year and a half. We did um, lots of retreats and workshops, and uh, now we do spiritualish as a as a podcast. So did, I'm curious because you, you do these courses now, did you learn that from her? Did you learn, or did you teach yourself that? Or how did you create something yeah. that you could do from home? Like, I'm very interested in that, obviously, because I'm trying to do a little bit of that, but I'm just curious, like, did that come okay. organically? Well, sort of. So you have to remember, I had a 15 year career yeah. in di- digital marketing so all things, and I've always just been kind of nerdy that way. And like, I get technology. I like it. I had a dad who always had like the ne- the next thing and I always played with it. So I was playing on computers really early. I was building websites. I, I like that stuff a lot. And I had built many websites for clients over the years and social media I got. So some of that comes now, na- it comes very naturally to me. And I was, I don't, uh, I like it also. It comes naturally and I like it. So when it comes to things like building my own website and doing my blog and doing the podcast, like I handled all the tech tech behind that. And um, so that part was there. And mm-hmm. then I had been a yoga teacher for, I became a yoga teacher in like 2005. And when I, I had never run a retreat before. So I've taught classes and stuff like that, but never run a retreat. So I worked with Meadow to do a retreat and, and that was sort of, sort of how I got my feet wet there. And I went out that next like year and taught a bazillion retreats and a, a bunch of workshops. And it was great, but I was like, oh my God, this is a lot of, it's really hard to make a living that way. Yeah. Um, Cause you hit it hard. Like you were that year of just getting out. Yeah. 2016 and 17, I went bananas and it was all <laughs> worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was fun. And I, I like that. And, but it's hard when you have a young kid and you know, well, like yeah. that was really hard and, and it's hard to, unless you are charging a lot of money it's hard to make a, li- a real living that way unless you're traveling all the time. And I didn't want to be doing that. So I started to just pay attention. Meadow had a thing going on at the time that was like a, she, it was an online weekly class that she taught. She had been teaching it for like 10 years and she had, I don't know, 20 or 30 women in it. And 
I sort of paid attention to that. I was like, huh, okay, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And then I also, you have to remember too, I watched Holly who started hip sobriety school. Like I was in her first, you know, little embryo class of hip sobriety school. I think there were 12 of us. Right. And so I saw how she ran that and picked up a little, uh, some things there. And then I started to do a, a monthly or a weekly class with Meadow. We started our own thing. She, she shut down the one that she had been doing and we started a new thing together. So I started to get what it was like to teach a class online, you know, just sort of the, the flow of it and how it works and generally what people expect. And so I got to do it while also learning Yeah, from someone who had been doing it for a long time. And then it got to a point, so it was, this is kind of funny. And, you know, I think, I think these things are fascinating because I think we watch, we watch people and we think, oh my God, they have this whole empire, you know, <laughs> but you don't realize how, how funny and difficult and, t- and how many failures there are and how most people are really making things up. As they um, go. Even, even <laughs> right. while they know what they're doing, you still, yeah. because technology changes all the time and, and there's a million, you know, there's always some new stuff to learn or a new way of doing things. I mean, look, podcasts in 2015, when we, Holly and I started home, there were, I had been listening to WTF, uh, Mark Maron's podcast and Radio Lab and On Being, but there were not, a, podcasts weren't really a thing. Right. And those are highly yeah. produced, right? Those were very were highly produced. So podcasts. produced. Yeah. I mean, Radio Lab especially, it was like beautiful. It was like a show. <laughs> Real. My husband loves that one. My husband's a big fan of Radio Lab. It's brilliant. It's so good. Um, but I, I loved the medium. And I just like, God, I would love to do this. But so what was my point? Uh, oh making it up yeah mm -hmm. I mean I was like let's just try this you know and now I mean now it's a very common thing there are bazillion podcasts yeah but we didn't know what the hell we were doing and I think more than anything I've just consistently been willing to try shit I don't Mm -hmm. have a ton of fear of failing for whatever reason I don't um and not because I haven't but it's just like oh well because I I do things that I think are fun that's mm-hmm. like my criteria. Like, is this interesting to me? Is it fun? Does it get me excited? Let's try it. So, um, this is the funny story though. I had been, I quit my job in May of 2016 and then Meadow, Meadow and I were friends and she's been doing, you know, her, she's been working for herself for at that point, 12 years. Like she's mm-hmm. a veteran and, She's like, okay, so how are you going to make money? I was like, I don't know. Right. She's <laughs> like, actually a real good friend to have right at that moment. <laughs> yeah. She's like, um, I was like, well, I think I'm going to teach some workshops. And she was like, okay, can you make a living that way? And I was like, I, I don't know. You know, I had like a cushion, like a small cushion of time. And I knew I wanted to write a book. Like I had a few things in mind, but I didn't really know what I was doing. 
And she's like, Laura, you, you're sitting on money. Like people, you have a pretty decent following at this point. People want to buy something from you. And I was like, really? <laughs> really? Oh, they do? Yeah. So she's like, just put out something, anything. So I wrote this ebook. Like, she's like, do an ebook just to see what it feels like yeah. to put something out there. So I wrote this ebook called Six Mantras for Early Sobriety. Oh, yes, I bought that. Whipped it up, put it out, made like, sold bazillion copies like right away because, mm. you know, it, it was cheap and I think maybe people, people wanted what you had. People wanted to buy something. Yep. <laughs> I was yep. like, imagine that. <gasps> I was like, oh my God, that, that was amazing. I want to keep it. Did it scare you too? Like a little bit? Like, oh shit, she was right. Like, no. I was okay. like, I was like, psyched. Good. yeah, I was like, sweet, let's do more of that. <laughs> right. And so I started, so that, that was my first sort of thing that only I had produced that was, yeah, that was up there. And then I decided to create a class called the bigger yes. And that came because I had it as a, as like a three and a half hour workshop. I think you maybe took it. I don't know. Yeah, I did. Yeah. So I, I was, I taught that in a bunch of cities and it's a three and a half hour workshop and it was a lot to put into a three and a half hour workshop. Mm -hmm. And I remember teaching after I taught a few of them, I was like, you know what? this needs to be a class, like a, a retreat or a, a class, like a six week, seven week, eight week class. And it came to me, that came to me one day in the yoga class I, that I was taking. I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put together. Can you hear that? Truck's back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's okay. That's not the truck. That's no. <laughs> a truck. I live in a, a very noisy little spot. We just keep so, it. It's fine. Yeah. So I decided to put together this seven week class it's called the bigger. Yes. I already had the sort of I, curriculum laid out. I just basically expanded on what I had taught in a workshop and I discovered that I really liked putting together courses. Like I liked mapping out seven weeks of content, Yeah, creating you know, there's a, a super creative component to it. And just, I really love having it all be determined by me. I had worked for so long for, for clients where we had no say or very little say, or they didn't care, you know, what we, what our opinion was. And just, I didn't realize how much I longed to create just for like by myself and to really be responsible for something beginning to end. And so I loved doing it. I put it together, put together a sales page, decided to do it to charge for my first course, which was, that's a whole other conversation you wanted to have. Mm -hmm. And then I sold it out. I had this number in mind. So this was also helpful, like working with Meadow. She is, she is an excellent friend to have when it comes to money and business and all that. She's like, okay, how much do you want to make from this? Like total. That's where she started. That's where she started. And that's <laughs> right. where I start every time I do something now. I say, how much do you want to make? 30,000, 10,000, 100,000. What is it? Mm -hmm. What do you want to make? And work back from there. Okay. If you want to make X amount, how many students do you think you can handle? And then how much do you need to charge each person? 
And it's interesting to do that, to do it that way. And you, of course, have to balance it with, I mean, I could say, I want to make $100,000 and I could have 20 students and, you know, like that's not going to work. I've right. never taught this before. <laughs> it doesn't, what, they're, what I'm providing doesn't equate to like the price. So there's a little balancing act there, but, but you get the gist. And then um, it was so much fun doing it. I loved doing it. That's where I met. Brooke, who's now my assistant. She was a student in that class. And I also realized like, oh, I need help when I do this. I need to have mentors who are, you know, previous students who help people, it help the students like, you know, because there's always a forum and yeah. provide feedback and all that stuff. So every time I've taught that course now five or six times and every time it gets better, you tweak it, you know, yeah. Uh, learn a different technology, learn a better way, way to sell it, all those things. And then the second course I built was We Are the Luckiest. And that is, I, this is funny too. So just to show you how things get developed and like how yeah. not orchestrated it can be, I got called to go on the Today Show. It was like a, uh, a Thursday and I think they want to be there on Tuesday and and it was to talk about moms and drinking and Meadows like all right so what are you gonna sell what are you gonna have for sale when you go on it's like what <laughs> I need something for sale she's like mm-hmm. oh my god <laughs> she's like come yes Laura, come here honey <laughs> yes come here and I had already been thinking about what else I wanted to create because I you know, I can't, you can't just teach the same course over and over and over again. I wanted to start something new. So, and I knew I, I should probably do something about sobriety since I have all this knowledge and experience and it's what I talk about a lot. So I put together, we are the luckiest over a weekend and had it on sale by the time I went on the show. Wow. And that was a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Yes. It's a lot of work. Um, and, and it was so fun. So I put that together and have been teaching that now four or five times since then too. And then I decided after I'd been doing that for a while, I decided I want to teach something about writing, some kind of writing based thing. So I started a new site um, called the Reclamation Room, which is all about using the power of writing and the practice of writing to transform your and to reclaim basically what's what's yours. So I just the, I just taught the first course in that called the practice. Mm. Just finished it this week. I have a friend who just finished that course with you and freaking loved it. Oh, just good. Loved it. Loved it. It was really fun to teach. It was different than I'd done any of the other courses, it was 40 days, a daily thing, you know, they get a daily prompt and there's, I recorded meditations, which was fascinating. Never recorded meditations before and did it like professionally in a studio. And I, you know, it's just like trying, trying new things and seeing what works and seeing what doesn't. And after over time, you know, you get people who like a lot of people that have taken my courses have taken all of them or taken them multiple times. So I know these people and they're willing yeah. to give me feedback and, um, 
be mentors in some cases for other students. And so it just seems to work. Well, really what's well. so interesting about everything that you've just said is I'm taking little notes here and there and I'm thinking like, and this is all, I mean, this is kind of, um, a friend told me recently, like, you need to research yourself, Tammy. And I have, I'm, Tiffany Hahn is my creative coach. Mm. I've worked with her for two years. She says the same things like, go look at what you're doing. You're moving on to the new idea. Yeah. I need you to go back and look at the old ideas. And like what worked? Yeah. And or what am I drawn to? Or what do I keep repeating in my work? What is yeah. the thing? And so yeah. I created this idea book at the beginning of the year because a lot of my ideas will just float out there, you know? Yes. And I just saw Elizabeth Gilbert a couple of weeks ago and she was on her book tour and I asked her a question during the Q&A and, and it wasn't about create, well, it was about grief and creativity, but mainly what she, what I got out of her talk that day, she said, you know, your ideas basically need to audition for you. Eight out of 10 of them are going to suck, you know? <laughs> she was like, yes. you're the boss. You're the boss of the, they get to submit their proposals to you. And she says, but so you, can't, you can't move on to the new idea until you've at least done one of your ideas. Like to yeah. And so I think about that and what you're just saying here about um, building, 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 like you just laid out this little roadmap of what you did and uh -huh. you can't tell somebody, you know, I can, but I could, I could take what you just said and say like, I'm not Laura. However, I've been slowly doing this and this, and I'm doing that thing. I just haven't found complete um, confidence with technology is my thing, Laura. So, well, I'm, okay. Yeah. A lot of people tell themselves that story okay. and I kind of just think maybe you just stop saying that as a starting point. Okay. All right. <laughs> like literally just stop saying I don't do well with technology because. Right. I'm doing a podcast. You're, you have a podcast <laughs> that's really successful that you've done for what, two years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You run a website, you sell things on your site, you use social media. So I think you're like, right. my grandmother is not good at, well, she's dead. <laughs> right. But they're not good at technology. Right. You're fine. I can and figure it out. You need to stop saying that. Some, my friend said that to me this morning. I was like, can we just stop? Cause that's annoying. I'm just annoyed now. Like <laughs> now you're just telling me you, you don't even try to figure out how to use this app. You just ask me. Right. Well, yeah. And, and I think um, you're right. That is changing a story for sure. I get that. Um, I am trying to figure some stuff out on my website. It just, it takes me so long and I guess that's yeah, fine. Yeah. You know what? It took me forever to figure out how to make a website. So it's fine. So I, and I get it. I'm not saying like there's some things that I, that I try to do and it's just painful mm -hmm. because I just don't get it. You know, it's like, doesn't come naturally, but, but you get enough to run a class or to do any of the things I talked about, you, yeah. you get yeah. enough to do yeah. it. That's a tip. When I was talking to Tiffany about this course that I'm teaching, she's like, it could basically be emails. Like you could start where you're just sending emails to people. Yeah. Like, That's how I did my 100 rejection letters when I first taught it. Yeah. Like, you just need to start. I'm like, okay, got it. So I am, I'm starting before I'm ready. I'm doing the whole, you know, and, and my students have been so sweet when I had a problem with technology, they were like, I'm like, I had to send a separate email with a PDF to do a tutorial on something and couldn't figure out how to insert. It doesn't matter, whatever. They were so sweet. They were nice. Nobody cared. You know, yeah. I stayed up till four in the morning, stressing out and giving myself, you know, almost an that was the night of the concert I went to almost had yeah. whatever. It's like, I created it all. So I need to just but that, I, I, you know, I also want to say, like, even though I, I just breezed through that and said, oh, I did this and this and this, like, there's also, you know, I worked my ass off 
-hmm. to create every single piece of all those things. And then once you do it, it's like, oh, I can just replicate that. And it's, then you really focus on, you know, then I figure out how can I deliver this week's lesson better, but you're not fussing with the design of each page or each handout, you know, tweak that delivery. Yeah. It's worth it to figure out how to do every little piece on your own and how much work that actually takes. Because I will tell you what, now as a student buying courses, which I do, I'm like, shit, I would pay three times as much for this, you know, Mm -hmm. or I, I have a very different lens from which I see what people sell. Yeah. Well, I've, um, I've been in school continuously since I got sober. So Laura, this is my first semester off for some. I've never had a summer off from school. Um, and I, I'm just giving myself permission. I've never been able to take one of your classes. I'm excited. I want to take (gasps) the luckiest. So I am excited when you offer it again, but, um, I hear nothing but wonderful things from your students. I have an exchange partner that was one of your mentors and we are the luckiest, I think, or maybe, yes, I'm not sure one of those. So when I was talking to her, she was, you know, she's like, Oh, I got to be a mentor in Laura's program. And, I loved it. I love all the connections and the interconnectedness. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's been, it's fun. And you know, I, I talking about being scared, like this, the recent course that I launched the practice Mm -hmm. was, I was, I was really anxious about launching it. And to the point where I felt, I was like, is this telling me that I shouldn't do it? Because I don't really remember feeling quite this, anxious, but it was more than I had ever charged. It was in a realm like, who am I to teach people how to write, you know? And it wasn't, even though it wasn't a how to write course, it was something out of my realm. And, but you just do it, you know? So I get the fear and I, as soon as I started, it started and you, you know, I, the night before you put it on sale, it's like, yeah, panic attack city. It's like, oh my God. what if no one comes to my party? (laughs) Right. Everything's all set out. I'm ready to go. Yeah. It's this devastating, like, oh God, preemptive. Like, am I going to just be the biggest loser? And it didn't work out that way. And it was like, even if it did, even if I sold just a few spots, Mm -hmm. I would learn something from that. And I'm doing it again. Like I decided I'm going to teach a masterclass and writing a book. And that's like, Really? I know. I saw that. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because I think, um, you, like you said, people are, people are fascinated about how to write a book. I mean, I went yes. to write Dobe about five years ago and I got, um, you know, I took the, I wasn't, I thought I wanted to write a book and I realized that writing created a lot of anxiety in me. Mm. I was also drinking at the time when I went to that. But, yeah. um, I also think that just, um, having a practice, that's what I'm fascinated that it seems like you really buckled down there this year mm-hmm. and we're like, put a deadline on yourself. And like, I'm writing this book. So can you well, tell me a little bit? No, like- I got a deadline from a publisher. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that is outer accountability, outer yeah. accountability. Yeah. So, so when did you get an agent or I can't, I don't know the time and I can't remember. Okay. So, so I got, a, I got my first agent, um, I want to say two, like two years ago, maybe even a little bit more, I got introduced by another writer. It was a sort of big deal because it was a big agent and, you know, I was like, felt way out of depth. Mm -hmm. 
and I didn't really have my book idea formed yet. I didn't, I was flopping around all over the place. So I worked with her for about a year and didn't get, didn't get too far. And she was wonderful, but she was also a very busy person and had a lot of big name authors and I'm not. And she was getting ready to go on maternity leave. And I was like, I, I just feel like I need somebody who is more in my corner, you know, she, and, and this isn't to say anything about her. It was just more, um, she wasn't, she had other bigger fish to fry. Mm -hmm. So, and I tell that to people because I think you don't realize how messy this is and how many steps there are. <laughs> I thought when I quit my job in 2016, I was like, I'll have my book sold within like nine months and I'll have it. It'll be out in like two years. And it's, turn yeah the timeline's a lot longer than that right. and that's that's what need, how it needed to be but uh I so I went on when I my agent now contacted me he found me uh he had seen a like piece of media that I was in and co contacted me and uh I he did it just clicked he was, was very like supportive of my work he got it he was a huge advocate and is and so I got him I started working with him last summer so I want to say like May 2018 and I was much further along at that point I had a, I had a few chapters written I had a pretty solid I had a really solid book proposal and we worked to shape that together a little bit more and he went and started trying to pitch it to publishers in the early summer of last year. And this was another thing. I was like, oh my God, you know, we'll, we'll sell it in like a few months, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and publishing moves slower than any industry I've ever encountered. It's fascinating. It's like, and it's also very, you just don't know what's happening. Um, it, 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 there's a lot of waiting, a lot of going dark, a lot of just not sure. You could have the best idea in the world and you just don't know why it doesn't sell or when it's going to sell. So we ended up finally, we, we got a, I got, I think 40 no's to that original round. Hmm. And then we decided I was actually going to self-publish. I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to self-publish. I talked to Annie Grace, who's a dear friend. She published A Snake in Mind. She self-published that right. before she sold it to Penguin later. And she was like a huge advocate for it. And I was like, you know what? I just want this book out there. Uh, I'm going to just publish on my own. So I, I'll never forget. I went to this retreat in Ireland. I was just like writing chapters. I wrote, I was, once I decided what I was going to do, I could write again. I wasn't trying to write to like sell a book. I was just writing the book I wanted to write. So I was writing, I wrote a few chapters and I came back from that trip and I emailed my agent. I was like, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. You know, you're wonderful. Bye <laughs> for right. now. I've hit 40 and I hit the 40 letters and I'm ready to move on. Yeah. Okay. So he was like, okay, like I get that that might be a actually a good path for you, but why don't you just let me try one more time? 
and I sent him the new chapters and this was, so this was like late last year, mm -hmm. sent him the new chapters, tweak the proposal and it sold right before Christmas. Wow. That's a nice Christmas present, Laura. It was really nice. Yeah. I was at my book club actually. I was like, <laughs> got the email screams. Yeah. It was pretty fun. So, so what the writing that you did, the tweaking, this that just was the right time, or do you think? Um, what I think you did was it was the right. I think it was the right time. I think I had more solid, I had much more solid chapters. I had a solid, more solid concept of the book. I think we went out before it was really ready. Um, I was just getting really anxious, like. I got feedback from a lot of publishers, like we just bought a sobriety book, you know. I love this one, but we just bought one. So I had all this like, oh my God, right. like this. Yeah, but not this one. <laughs> yeah, but it was just also like so defeating, you know? Yeah. And I had, I got really close with a big five publisher and she was just like, I just, you're just not ready. This is just isn't ready. And it was like, fuck, it was such, it was such a blow because I really wanted that. Um, she, you know, she was like, I'm willing to be wrong. I hope I'm wrong about this, hmm. but, um, so, so they accepted know, it. They, the, this, yeah, new world library bought the book. They've been wonderful. And, and once I had, so I had, I would say 25% of the book done Okay. by the time I sold it and I had, I sold it in I got the contract in January and then my deadline was April 15th. So I finished it in those few months. It's amazing what a deadline will do. <laughs> no, I, I totally am outer accountability and deadlines really work for me. So that's, so you had just three and a half months to finish it. Did mm -hmm. you have to create some, I know that Meadow kind of, I was listening to spiritualist when she was writing her book, kind of nose to the grindstone, kind of clocking in every day and doing mm. the time. Did you adopt that kind of, um, philosophy well, or what helped worked for you? Yeah. Meadow is like, um, Meadow's like much more of a disciplined machine than I am, but mm -hmm. I, so I, I knew the word count, like they, the publisher gives you a word count. Mm -hmm. They don't want you to turn in a book that's 200,000 words. So, you know, <laughs> so it's right. not just like, write until you can't write anymore. It's like, no, this needs to be under. What is their ideal? What is the goal? I don't even know. Well, they originally asked me, they originally asked for 50,000 words, which is a very wow. short book. I was okay. like, shit, I can't know. I, I want it to be longer than that. I, I you know, based on that, how many chapters I had and approximate count, count of chapter word count, I was like, yeah. I can't do that. So they went up to 65 and, and it ended up being, it, it's going to be like 66,000 something. Okay. That's average for like a nonfiction book, somewhere between 50 and 75,000 words. Okay. So I knew the word count approximately, and I just worked back from that according to each week. So I knew each week I needed to write 3,500 words. And I just, that's what I stuck to. I did every single day. I Yes. I, and I figured out what worked for me. Like I do it in the morning. That's the only way I, it's when I'm the best. Yeah. Mornings are your jam, right? Like that's, yeah. It's when yeah. the world is quiet. It's when, because I also was, it's not like I just was writing a book. I had, I was running classes and I mean, it was like 
still have basically a full-time job. Yeah. And you're a mom. And I'm a mom. And yeah. yeah, So it wasn't like I could just section off whole days to write. It wasn't like that at all. So I did it in the morning. I'd wake up at four, four 30, right until seven when I had to wake my daughter up to go to school. And then that's really, I learned also, I talked to a lot of writers because I'm fascinated at the process. And like our friend Christy Coulter said, I can't, I learned that I can only really create new material. Like editing is a different thing, but create new writing for two to four hours max a day. Like you just don't have more in you. And that was what was true for me too. So if I got those that morning in, that was kind of my writing for the day. And then I would spend the afternoon sometimes going in, adding, editing, tweaking so that the next day I had a a good starting point. And I didn't write every day. Like I, a lot of people do that, Mm you know, that, that is what works for them. But what I learned is so much of writing this book was about not writing. It was like, Mm. I knew what chapter I was on and I would spend a lot of time thinking about it, spend a lot of time staring into space, spend a lot of time researching. It's all Uh, part of the process, right? The creative process. Yeah. It's not just getting your butt in the chair, which is important, but yeah, I totally get that for creating art. Like it's, it's concepts, it's ideas. You have to let it mull around and you have to mull it over. For sure. For sure. Hey, Unruffled listeners, just popping in mid-show to remind you about our Patreon fundraising campaign. To date, we have produced almost two years worth of content and have over half a million downloads. We can hardly believe it. If you like what you've been hearing and appreciate our weekly consistency, you can be a patron of this show for as little as a dollar an episode. To donate, please go to patreon.com backslash the Unruffled podcast. Thank you for your continued support of the show. Now back to it. So I wrote 3,500 words or whatever a week and I finished earlier than I thought because some weeks I turned out more and some a little bit less, but I just had that as my marker and I was, I am not actually externally motivated. I'm like one of those weird and like Gretchen Rubin's tendencies. I'm the rebel that doesn't have good internal or external motivation. You and Sandra are sevens and you're both rebels. Really? And I, yeah. And I'm a three, two. Uh, so on the Enneagram. So I, when I listen oh. to the meadow, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's funny. Maybe all podcasts, podcast hosts should be seven and three. Three, seven, three and sevens work so well together though. Cause they're both fast and yeah. Yeah. So but I, w- I wanted to do this book bad enough and I was, there was no way I was going to turn in. Like I, I made one promise to myself and it was like, I will not leave anything on the table. I will, even if this book sucks, I don't care as long as I felt like I did, I gave it everything I had. Mm, yeah. That was my promise. And then, so I finished it and, you know, turn in the manuscript and, and then you start the editing process, which is a whole other thing. Well, what's interesting to me, what you just said, and I, so 66,000 words is what you ended up with. Yeah. Um, and so 50 is where you started, where they said, we need at least 50. And uh, they and said no more than 50. And I was like, what? We had to negotiate <laughs> that. Yeah. But you did the same thing that you just told me you did when you were pricing your classes. Like how much do you want to make? Right. And then you work down from there. So then you get down yes. to 3,500 words a week. Like this is what I need to do. 
which yes. can really be what 500 words a day if you get down to that. And when you break it down like that, like 500 words isn't that much, Nothing. right? Nope. You can write 500 but, words. But I it, write yeah. Right. The, the truth is I probably wrote 150,000 words hmm. and yeah. a lot of those get scrapped. You write a lot of shit, like yeah. a lot. And, you know, sometimes you, sometimes you write, some people I hear write just automatic, you know, like stream of consciousness, just let themselves just vomit on a page. I don't do that. I, I seem to be a much more deliberate writer as much as I try to not be. It just, I don't know, that seems to be, and I've heard other people say that too. So, um, you figure out a lot of this was just figuring out what, I'm like in this process is brand new. And I'm so glad that the first one, at least the writing part and the editing part is over because at least the newness isn't there. Like you hear people say that it's hard or it's, there's like a lot of doubt, but you really don't get it. It's like having a kid. Until right, you, you can't, until you do it. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, that that is the action. That's the hardest part is this just crushing doubt because you're doing it alone. You don't, there's nobody telling you, yeah, this is good. This is yeah. good. Keep going. You're in a yeah. vacuum. Yeah. You could go off for 5,000 words and it could be totally the wrong direction. It's very strange. I ended up actually hiring an editor because I really needed someone to like witness mm. what I was doing. And I mean, I feel like that's mostly what I paid for, paid her for. She was wonderful. Mm-hmm. But I I mostly paid her to just receive my chapters. <laughs> I, I think that's that. really key, right? And and and, and a third party impartial, right? One hundred percent. Yeah, so they can. Oh, that would be very helpful. Yeah, editor for yeah, that's that's key. I just like how you just boiled that down, like how you figured that out, and um, yeah, and not that think- you were like going every day, like I have to do five hundred words a day. Like I said, you were you were, you were kind to yourself, but you you set yourself up for the next day whenever that writing was going to be. Yeah. I mean, mostly what the week weeks look like or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I sort of just deliberated and figured it out. What is this chapter really about? And what are the points I want to make? And, uh, and then the second half of the week I would spend writing and I, yeah, I, it, it was very formulaic. I mean, I think people have this romantic notion about writing a book or creating art where it's like, you know, you just get inspired and it takes this magical shape and, Mm-hmm. It's just going to be whatever word count it is. And it's like, no, it's a formula. It's a formula. You know, you right. end up with this many words. And if, if you break, once I broke it down like that, I was like, oh, I can do this. I can do yeah. this. Well, I love it. Can you share a little bit about the title and how you came to that for our listeners? Sure. So we are the luckiest is this phrase that came to mind one night of like or early, early in sobriety. I was having a really rough night. It was probably a Friday night. <laughs> right. And oh, I'm sorry. That was my landlord. Um he not he, my we're not talking about my landlord. Sorry, I just got distracted. <laughs> Called and there's his name. Um I was really having a bad night and crying in my bed. My daughter was like asleep next to me. It was early sobriety, you know, it was messy. Yeah. And I remember like posting something on Instagram and it just came to me like we're the luckiest like this is there was a moment there where I felt like I was in so much pain and for me I had no pink cloud in early sobriety or at all I never 
I felt like shit a lot of the time. I wasn't happy about it. I, even though there were really exciting things going on, like my creativity started to kind of like explode and I was writing and I still really missed drinking a lot. And I missed, I felt very lonely. I was in a lot of grief. I was really pissed off. Just felt like a fucking death sentence. Like this is the worst. And I had this moment where I was laying there. I was, I don't remember what I was upset about, but I had this, like the storm passed and I had this very clear insight that like, I was grateful for that pain. Like I was, I was just grateful to be alive for it and like awake for it. And somehow it hit me differently in that moment. Like this is what, this is what it actually means to be alive. And this is what I actually wanted was to like experience, like have a direct experience of life. And I don't know the phrase, we are the luckiest popped into my mind. I wrote that in the Instagram post. Actually, I got to go find that because I would reference it, but I don't actually know which one it was. And then it just became a thing. Like mm-hmm. I think I must have hashtagged it. Yeah. And, um, or started hashtagging it after that. And then other people seemed to like respond to it and started using it. And then we made like for home, we made a t-shirt with it. Yeah. <laughs> and then I created a class with it as the name. And then it just it was a very obvious choice for the book yeah. when, when it came time. I had other titles running around and I, I had the, one of the first titles. Actually, I won't share it because I'm still going to use it. Mm-hmm. But I had a title that I had shared with you mm-hmm. and I was going to use that, but it wasn't right. It'll be right for like the second book, I think. Um, but yeah, so I love it. Well, that, so Laura, when I was, when I would go to the rooms in the beginning, um, well, I was sober seven months without the rooms and then I went into the rooms and I would hear people say, um, I'm a grateful alcoholic and I wanted to punch them. Right. (laughs) Um, I'm one of those people, people probably want to punch now. Um, but I, but I feel like I am grateful when I sit in those rooms. I am grateful Mm -hmm. for the darkness. I am grateful that I drank alcoholically and worked Mm -hmm. my way into those rooms and into this life. Like you saying we are the luckiest is like the version of, for me, like I heard that grateful alcoholic was like, no, I don't want to say that ever. We are the luckiest (laughs) I I want to say all day long. So I think it gave a voice to people who could share that, you know, I'm grateful that I had this problem with alcohol because it brought me to this kind of awakening. Yeah, for me, definitely, definitely a spiritual awakening, definitely awakening to my life and me being a mom and a better human and all of those and an artist. But I think that I couldn't hear those words because sometimes words are, those are just too harsh. And we are the luckiest is like this beautiful, all encompassing way of saying like, we've, we're lucky to be here. I'm lucky to be alive. So are you, you know what I mean? Like we, Yes. So I think it's such a beautiful name for your book. Of course, it's the name of your book. It's yeah. It felt like, oh, yes, that has to be it. And then when I told the publisher, they, at first they were like, I don't tell us what that means. And then they, got, they get it right away. I mean, it's not hard to get. It's like right. sort of this non-intuitive, like really this awful thing. Mm. And it's like, yeah, that's why, that's yeah. why it works because 
it feels like the worst thing. And I think, you know, addiction for me was just an invitation to mm. something much bigger. And yeah. yeah, I agree with you on that. That's, it's just whether we answered the call, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad. Yeah, it's a beautiful invitation. It's not a, sometimes not a fun invitation. <laughs> uh, no, the ones, but, your invitations are, the real invitations are never fun. You know? <laughs> right. That's the word. Well, so how can people, it's coming out December 31st, but we can pre-order, right? You can pre-order on Amazon or how it's on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble. It's slowly starting to trickle into the other spots. It should be on IndieBound soon. Great. Um, I'm going to, you may not want to pre-order it yet because I'm going to, uh, now that we have the cover done, I'm going to start to create some fun promotions around pre-ordering and give people away some extra stuff and goodies. So just watch, you know, if you yeah. watch my Instagram or my newsletters, the best way to sort of find me. That's good. Um, I know we've talked here. I wanted, there was a couple of things. <clears throat> Let's yeah. see. I know we didn't talk about this and now it feels awkward to just throw it in there, but I wanted to just, I um, quickly touch on this morning routine. You have, um, I know you have a solid morning routine. We just talked about the writing routine. Yeah. Um, I know recently you shared that you were dealing with panic, a panic and a panic attack. Um, and you wrote your newsletter about it and did a podcast about it with Meadow on spiritualish. Mm-hmm. And the morning routine I feel is super important to the foundation for my day. And if I don't do it, I feel squirrely. Yeah. So I've become, um, you know, that habit of creating a new habit, um, is really super important for me for sobriety, for life, just emotional sobriety, like whatever it is. Totally. Um, do you, do you feel like when you had your recent panic attack that you were kind of just off? Do you have any clues about that? I mean, we talked about oh, yeah. briefly before here, just that <laughs> things are good right now. Things are good for me right now. And all of a sudden I had a panic attack and I'm like, fuck. Yeah. So- yeah. It, I do have, I, I know basically, I mean, that's the thing about anxiety is usually some kind of warning signal of some, some sort, mm-hmm. you know, trying to get you to pay attention to something. Um, one was, I was off, I had just finished teaching this course. And so I was like, or I hadn't quite finished. No, I hadn't quite finished, but I was close and I kind of eased. Oh, I just finished the edits on my book. That's what it was. So the book was like done and I had sort of eased up off my morning routine a little bit, just like Mm -hmm. got a little slack on that. I was traveling, which is my number one anxiety trigger. It just completely jacks me up. And I wish that wasn't true because then you start to get the preemptive, like, oh my God, (laughs) I'm getting anxious. It just does. It's the the combination of not sleeping as well and the, you get it. Like you're, I don't know. So- it's that, like you stop doing a few little things though, right? Like, and it's like, it's your, the, the travel's coming and you know, you should be doing some things, but then. Yeah. And I think there is something, I used to roll my eyes when people say this, but I know it's true. I'm definitely very sensitive. Like mm. uh, my senses are very sensitive. So noise, um, energy, people around me, just, I, I, it, it really I have to do a lot to keep my center when I'm thrown into a bunch of different environments. And I've learned how to do that because it's not like I don't, I do a lot of, I do a lot of things. I do, I live my life fully, but I just am aware that I get rattled. Um, 
noise, especially Mm -hmm. (laughs) weird thing. And so there's, so travel, I was traveling when this happened. And I also had just recently met someone that I really like. And that was, I think the, the, the primary reason, because it was all of a sudden there's, Brene Brown talks about foreboding joy mm-hmm. and that joy is the most vulnerable emotion to feel, which doesn't seem intuitive. It's like, why would that be? Why would that be? And it's like, well, all of a sudden you have a lot to lose. You know, right. you, you, our natural response or a lot of people's natural response to something good is like, oh my God, but what, but what now? What if I lose it? What, how am I going to lose it? You know, you, you kind of like, res, like, automatically think the other shoe is going to drop. And so there was that going on. And, and there's also, you know, I don't know if this is true for you, but there is something about feeling really good that I think for me, there's a, there's a rebound to that. And like, you know, when it comes to work or other things I don't experience it so much but with um, like the high of like a new love type of thing mm-hmm. like you go way up right and then there's this crash on the other side because I think physiologically that was the drinking cycle for me it was like you feel really good and then you're gonna there's a hangover on the other side and there's you've done something wrong I think is what my body is like signaling, like something bad is going to happen now because that's the cycle I have been in for so long. Right. Like the pendulum has to swing all the way to the other side. Yep. Right. You have all this good stuff happening and then it's going to come up. Yeah. Maybe your body is holding on or old patterns or yeah. Physiologically, like you're saying. Yeah. I think that's, uh, it's trippy, but I think, I think that's a lot, has a lot to do with it. I think it feels very out of control for me to like somebody Mm. completely out of control and just what's going to happen now. And, oh my God, I could be annihilated at any second. Like that was a lot of what was going on for me. And I think people have that in different areas of their life. Like if it's not a relationship, it's like their work or their finances, you know, if they come up, they come on money or they have a really big win professionally. They, the, 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 snap back to that is oftentimes anxiety. That's interesting. Okay. You're helping me here. Yes. Yeah. So I would look at your life and go, it doesn't make sense. Like things are good. Right. But there, we, people who have, especially people I think who have experienced addiction are very mistrustful of feeling good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was, um, you said you went to Ireland, I'm sure to see Peter Rollins, right. To learn from him. Yes. Yes. And he has one of my favorite quotes was listen to the prophet of your anxiety. Mm. When he said that, I was like, oh, my bo- th- this prophet, this, this thing in my body is telling me something. It's actually my teacher. I need to listen to it. So last summer when I started having panic attacks, I put myself through my own little thing I made up for myself. I do a morning routine for about two hours every morning. I listen to Elena Brower for 40 days in a row. I would, you know, read my prayers by Pixie Light Horse. I would do my guided meditation. I had this whole thing and I was trying to listen to like what was making me anxious. Um, but what you've just said has helped me think about the pendulum and about all the good stuff. 
I just taught this course this month and I can't believe people signed up truly. And I can't believe that they paid me to teach them the things that I love to do that I know how to do. Right. And so maybe, I don't know. I I was also, I was like, and I'm doing it again this month in August. So I'm, yeah, maybe some of that is happening. I would say definitely you're hitting a ceiling of what you're comfortable with. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Uh, well, um, the tool for me, I have to say, because a lot of people I shared in my stories, um, over the weekend before I had my, one was coming Friday night, Laura, and then I kind of staved it off. I listened to you and Meadow's most recent podcast about anxiety. Mm -hmm. And, um, by Sunday, a couple days later, that's when it finally, the swirling of anxiety all weekend that I had finally was about to come out of my body. And um, like I said, I almost called you, but I knew it was later on the East coast mm-hmm. and, and I didn't have the wherewithal to remember any tools was the thing. Oh God. And so I texted Natalie and I said, I need help. Yeah. And of course she called me right away. My husband and some are out of town. So I was alone. So I was, I think I freaked myself out more cause I couldn't breathe and I was alone. Yes. Anyhow, she walked me through it. And what was really um, kind of beautiful and great about that is like that I came back to myself that I could remember these exercises. But she said to me, you need to write down. This is what some listeners were asking, like, well, what did you do? What did you do? You need to write down on a little card and put it in my toolbox that I carry in my bag. I have this little sobriety toolbox, anxiety toolbox. You need to put it in there what you need to do. Legs up the wall. So you don't have to remember when you can't remember. I can't remember to put my legs up the wall. I forgot that I even had beta blockers that help me with this stuff when I fly. Uh, um, they're non-addictive. I forgot that I even had that. So I could have been taking yeah. that as a preventative, but your, your brain is in like that whole flight or flight, fight or flight mode. And I just yep. couldn't think. I so know. is there a tool um, for me? It's legs up the wall is the first thing. And then ice in my hands and on my polyvagal nerve. Those are the, the things that really help. But is there something that you do that helps or a tool that maybe you could share? Yeah. So when I, um, I'm trying to find the exact one there. I know for me that my breath is the way to bring my nervous system back mm. into homeostasis. That's what Natalie did for me. Thank you for saying that. Yes. That's what she walked me through as breath. And it is for everybody. It's like your breath is always going to be the way, but you have to learn these practices. It's not something that comes naturally. Mm-hmm. And luckily I have learned them through teaching them and doing yoga and all that stuff. So I know what to do. And this is the funny thing. Okay. I, it's so simple, but it's like, not only do you have the tools, but you will use them. Like we all, <laughs> some people don't have any tools, right? right? right. You, like, but, and, and a lot of us have some amazing tools but we don't use them. It's funny. And like, not just use them when you're in crisis, but like use them every day, get used to using them so that when you are in crisis, it's so automatic. Yeah. It's like, that's what I tell my sponsees. Like you need to call or text me every day. And I know you're annoyed, but it's because when you're in crisis, maybe you'll call or text me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the same thing. Use that as a tool. Use me as a tool. Okay. That's your so right. So what I did was, um, noise is a really big killer for me. It's like, that I, I realized when I was about to have a panic attack that I was like listening to this fucking crazy techno music in the Starbucks. I was like, get me out of here. So I went outside and put my feet on the ground. So I laid down, put my feet on the ground and like bare feet. So anytime you can make more contact with the earth or 
get really grounded in your seat. You know, so you can't always go outside. Like if you're yeah. in the airplane, you can't do this. But then there's these two, I, I, I use the app called Insight Timer for meditations. And there, it's a free app. There are some things you have to pay for. But there was this one call, called SOS Help for Stress and Anxiety. It's a 12-minute meditation. Um, and I'll share it with you so you can like link it up. Yeah. And I listened to that while I did box breathing. So box breathing is a brilliant, easy tool. You breathe in for four. The most simple one is breathe in for four, hold for four, breathe out for four, hold out for four. So it's four, 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 four. I do it like I breathe in for seven, hold for eight, breathe because I'm used to doing it. But if you can't, you know, you just four, 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 practice doing it. And it's the holding of your breath in at the top and the holding of your breath out that does the trick. And after a few minutes, you're going to start to bring yourself back. Your nervous system is going to start. What it does is it triggers your parasympathetic nervous system. So you start, which is what makes you feel calm. So you start to come down and it's, but it's hard because you don't feel it immediately. You know, it takes maybe five, 10 minutes. Yeah. But then you feel a significant shift. So I listened to that while doing that breathing. And then after that, I listened to Tara Brock up, um, meditation on Insight Timer and just okay. laid there and continued to breathe just steadily. Okay. Um, and that got me there. But so, know. can I ask a question about the box breathing? Yep. So, in for four, hold for four, out for four. What does hold out for four mean? The last you hold your breath out, like empty. Empty. Okay. Thank you. Empty for four. So you hold at the bottom of your breath. And Someone just recommended this to me yesterday, but they didn't explain it. So it's so interesting. Of course, you're, you're sharing it today. So this uh, helps me. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, it's great. And you can, once you start to get used to it, you can, you'll sense your body, like when you need to inhale and when you need to exhale. But the counting actually helps, you know, just going one, like, that's what I have learned is the most important. If your mind is wigging out when you're going through anxiety, so you have to go into your body in as many senses as possible. That's why you hold on to ice, like you said. That's yeah. why you, you know, you you have to really. Um, another trick that I learned that's helpful if you have this is put um, put some oranges in your freezer. <laughs> oh. And you can take an orange out and you hold it in your hand, and as it starts to thaw, you'll start to smell it. So it engages your mm. smell. You yeah. feel it. Um, and it just focuses your attention on this. I love it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get an orange today. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, it's great. And okay, that's so helpful. A trauma, a trauma, um, someone who works with people that have PTSD and trauma taught me that. Fantastic. Those are great tools. Well, Natalie helped me with oils because I don't like to put oils in my hand, Laura. And she's so cute because she's so firm with me. She's yeah. like, I don't want to hear it. Put oils in your hand right now. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. She's like, and then oils help me through breathing, you know, yeah. with my hands over my nose and my mouth. She was like, breathe through your nose. I'm like, I can't breathe. You know, I was freaking out. And she was like, then just do it through your mouth. Yeah. And eventually I came back into my body, but it was, uh, it's alarming because yeah, I know like even us talking about it, that's great. I need to write this down on a little card and put it in my, yep. in my yep. toolkit. So thank you for talking about that. I really, no, it's so, it's so hard and it's so frustrating and it's so, 
destabilizing because you feel like at a certain point you shouldn't have go through this anymore. And yeah, it's just something that, you know, you were probably going to always live with and I will always live with and you just learn to manage it better. Yeah. Cause I used to just manage it by knocking back a Manhattan. That's right. Too, so I don't really get to manage it that way. Which works for about 15 minutes and then you want to die. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I've kept you so long, Laura. I, no, I, I, wanted, to, so I wanted to, sh- um, I want you to promote your things, but first I want to ask you, um, do you have three things in like a toolbox that you would share? I mean, it sounds like you just did with the anxiety. Um, yeah. Anything creative related or sobriety related that you want to share with our listeners for the unruffled toolbox? Well, I would, I would recommend the box breathing to anybody, not even just, even if you don't have anxiety, learning how to breathe will change your life. Okay. <laughs> um, so the box breathing is definitely a tool uh, insight timer. I would offer that as a tool. It's so good. Yeah. And there's so many different types of meditations. It keeps getting better and better. I'm not a good, just sit there and meditate person. I need a, some guidance or at least yeah. a timer. Uh, that's amazing. And then my number one tool forever is sweat moving my body. Mm. And so I heard something really interesting yesterday. This is a good little way to end probably hmm. the so there's this I'm gonna forget the scale that it's called but they measure depression on a scale and say it's 1 to 25 and antidepressants or medication which I do take medication can move you up one to two points but a good night's sleep exercise can move you. Okay. So sorry, I should frame this more. One is like your clinically depressed, like hospitalization time. 25 is probably manic. <laughs> like you're not, you're not, you know, that's not necessarily desirable, desirable either. But, um, if you say you're around four, an, an antidepressant can bring you up to say six or eight, maybe, but a good night's sleep, uh, exercise, vigorous exercise can move you up as much as six to eight points. Wow. Yeah. That's significant. It's significant. And it's, um, yeah, I think, you know, I, I annoy people I'm sure because I'm always talking about that and pushing that and sweating. And I know like, it's just to me, I'm not a well person. I have no shot at not being anxious, no shot at work at writing, creativity, mental health, and none of it if I'm not sweating pretty regularly. So That is so key. I'm meeting with a trainer this morning in about a half an hour. And yeah. so I finally hired one because I resist exercise. Yeah. I just want to hole up at my desk and create all day. And I know that that's part of the problem. So yeah. I'm well, that's awesome. That's smart. Yeah. And sleep. I love it. I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> I never got a good night's sleep for about a decade. And, um, now that I can go to bed, you know, I'd like to go to bed early and wake up early and it's, it's so key to my mental health. Yep. Me too. Um, okay. So promote, let's let you promote what you got going on. Cause you got some things going on, right? Yeah. So, uh, let's see, I am running a master class. It's for people who want to write a book and it doesn't have to be a book that you plan to publish, but if you have that dream inside of you or that thing that won't leave you alone, I'm running a masterclass for it. It's a very small group. It's 20 people. It will start mid-September and end beginning of December. So it's about three months. Uh, I 
am bringing in five guest teachers from all areas of writing, publishing, uh, per editing, promotion, all of that, because I, I've only, you know, I, I want to bring in experts. I've written one book and I know my own experience, but there are other people who've been doing this a lot longer. So I'm bringing in some amazing guest teachers and registration for that will go up mid-July. This will air mid-July, I believe. So right when this comes out, I think the 15th, that maybe. Good. That time? All right. Perfect. So, so yeah. It'll be available on my site. If you just look for it, uh, lauramccowan.com is my site and you'll find it there. Or if you're, you know, the best way is to subscribe to my, my newsletter, which you can do on my site. And that's my newsletter. I love writing my newsletter emails. I tell people about, you know, things that are going on there first. Yeah. So, I love getting your newsletter. Yes. I love yours too. So there's that. And then, um, you know, my book comes out in December. So do I won't have anyone to buy it. Do you have any spots at Kripalu in the fall for Bigger I Days? I do a few. Yeah. They actually opened up registration. Um, we're going to the bigger room now. So there are spots again. It's September. I'm going to say this wrong. 13th through 15th or 15th through 17th. I should know that <laughs> in my brain, but it's that weekend. Okay. Mid-September. Yeah. Yeah. Mid-September at Kripalu. It's the bigger yes as a retreat experience. So it's my bigger yes course as a retreat experience. I love it. When Becky Vollmer was staying at my house um, this spring and she was just so excited that she was going to be teaching there, that you were going to be teaching there. I'm like, how far you guys have all come. And I just, I, know. I love it's it. So and the last thing I just saw, um, because She Recovers just put their tickets on sale for uh, Miami, yeah. that you're going to be a speaker there. Is that a part of that there? Yes, I'm so excited. Yeah, oh. I'm uh, a speaker there. So that uh, that's next May in Miami. The tickets just went on sale, I think, over the weekend. Mm -hmm. um, Nikki Myers is another speaker, and wow. they're announcing keynote speakers. I'm doing like a TED-style talk, so I'm so thrilled awesome. about that. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. I will see you there. I will see you well, there. We'll be, we can time. like be anxiety buddies. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have your oils? Are you breathing? Are you breathing <laughs> okay. Yeah, it can be a lot, but I found, um, I found the LA experience was so chill compared to how I felt in New York. And I think that's oh, because I had more time. Um, that's good. Friday, New York was because you had more time, what? Just um, with sobriety under my belt. You know yeah. what I mean? I yeah. had tools. I had, I was felt calmer. The space was really open. We could go to the pool. You mm -hmm. could um, go take a walk. Like it, and not that you couldn't walk in New York, but it felt really concentrated you know, in that hotel. And, um, and it just, the, the LA experience was just, it was like night and day for me. So I'm looking forward to see how my Miami is. I'm sure it'll be similar to LA in terms of sunshine and pools and outside. And I think so. Yeah. And, and I think it, it does have a lot to do with the length of time in sobriety and you've done a lot of work too, you know? So I think, yeah, no, I'm really excited about it. I didn't go last year to LA. It was too far for me, but I, uh, I was in New York and I had the same experience. I was, it was extraordinarily anxiety producing. I yeah. actually do better when I have like an assignment, like the fact that I'm speaking, I think will help. Yeah. Because. I did a workshop at, at the LA one and that, um, it made me a little bit nervous, but then I, I also had a partner and then just seeing everybody that I knew sitting in the front row, you know, Sandra and Natalie totally. and Lara Frazier, you know, like all of them just sitting there. I'm like, oh, this is great. 
this is great. great. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy lady and we really appreciate it. I know our listeners are going to love this one. Thank you. Anytime. Loved it. Okay, bye, honey. Bye. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.